preached on it. And it is, again, the overarching theme is the second coming of Christ. And the disciples ask three questions of Jesus. You know, tell us when will these things be? Tell us, you know, <clears throat> what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? These, these three questions Jesus answers. And at the end of his answering these, he puts on these parables, and these parables are stories that teach us a powerful truth. And so let's look, verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man. Now, this is a simile. It's comparing the kingdom of heaven to this man. So the overarching theme also is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in this church, we believe in a literal kingdom. We believe that Jesus Christ will set up his literal kingdom after the tribulation period, after the second coming of Christ, up on this earth in which he will rule and reign. And we as believers will come back with him at the second coming. And those who have been faithful will actually rule and reign with him. It's called the reign of the servant kings. And I don't have time to get into all that, but I would love to, to teach you all about that. And uh, maybe in the, in the upcoming months we'll be able to discover and learn from that. But he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, It's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now, interestingly, this, when he says a man traveling to a far country, it indicates there's a time between his first coming and his second coming. At his first coming, he is telling them, Listen, I'm going to give you some of my goods, and you're going to be responsible for these goods until I come back. So again, the second coming of Christ. We see that. And so it indicates there's a time between his first coming and his second coming. You know what happens in time? In time, we have what we call out of sight, out of mind. How many of you ever heard that before? Yes. Yes, we have. And many people have even laid claim to uh, saying, listen, Jesus really not is coming because if he would come, he's been promised to come back for so many thousands of years and he hasn't come back yet. If he's coming back and he said he's coming back, where is he? To which Peter responded that he is not slack concerning his promise, his promise to return, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. The reason there's a delay between his first coming and his second coming is so that men and women, boys and girls, would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he tells us there is a time. In this story, there's a period of time between the first and second coming. Notice what else. He called his own servants. Now this is important. Because just because Jesus is speaking to the crowd, he's not implying everyone in the crowd, this message is for you. The more you study the Gospels, and I did this, uh, I went through the Gospels just studying Jesus. Jesus may have spoken to a large crowd, but he was teaching the disciples. He had a small targeted audience. Why is that important? Well, that's important because there is a distinction made here. And it's an obvious distinction. There will not be unbelievers in the kingdom. They will not enter into the kingdom. Now, there may be some who are born during the kingdom that grow up and refuse, but I'm telling you that no unbeliever on this earth at the time of the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom will enter in. No unbelievers will enter into the kingdom. This is why in this story, this <clears throat> These servants belong to the master. Every word matters in the Bible. He called his own servants. Now watch what else. And delivered his goods to them. It wasn't their goods. What 
the master gave them belonged to him. Now listen, the Bible teaches us that every good and perfect gift that we have comes from above. It comes from the Heavenly Father. Now, talent in this passage was a measure of money. And I, you don't need, I'm not going to get shackled with the shackle. You won't go into all this explanation either of that. But it was a sum of money. But in this context, everything that you have, whether it be your money, whether it be your talent, whether it be your intellect, anything you have has been loaned to you from God. And until we understand that, we'll never let go of our money for world missions until we understand that, we'll never let go of our time that we sacrifice of doing our self-pleasures to serve in the Lord's work. Until we understand that everything we have has been loaned to us, God owns it to His. Until we understand that, we will not go deeper into fellowship and relationship with the Lord. All of our talents. All of our gifts. You know, I watch on... Um, I watch on television, and I see on the television, I see sometimes these artists who are so gifted, who can sing, and they use that gifting for the world and for their monetary gain, and they don't use it for the glory of God. And, you know, and, that, and it's everyone's prerogative what they do. I'm not here to bash them or anything, but I think, what a waste. You know, what, what could God do? With that, my, my um, wife showed me a, um, a video by Andrew Bocelli. Is that his name? And uh, I, I don't know if that was because he was blind or what, but uh, because maybe I moved from being Ronnie Millsap to Andrew Bocelli. I don't know. Um, I doubt it. But he and his wife were singing, and what a lovely voice this young adolescent girl had. It was remarkable. It was almost angelic. And then you got me, it sounds like a dead seal on the beach, or a dying seal on the beach screeching. Poor Eugene laughs at me. I'll start the song before he does. I don't follow the leader. I should follow the leader, but I don't. So I'm musically challenged. And um, I think of, man, what could someone with that talent do for the glory of the Lord. The master gives to his own servants delivered goods. Now watch this, verse 15. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. And this is interesting. To each according to his own ability. It was the master's responsibility and prerogative to give whatever to whomever. In other words, if he wanted to give five to this guy and two to this guy and one to this guy, he was the master. He can do that because he is giving his goods to them. And when we come into a church, some people say, well, you know, I don't get to do this or I don't get to do that. All I get to do is serve. I get to do behind the scenes and all I, they want me to do is work in the kitchen. Well, listen to me. God, if you want to do greater things for God, do more for Him now. Do more for Him now. God knows what you will do with what He has given you. He is the one that determines who gets what. Perhaps the reason you have 
all that you have is because it's all you will do. Why would God give you extra if you're not going to do anything with what he's already given you? God's not a respecter of persons. Oh, okay, this guy, he ha- he's an E-step, so because he's an E-step, let's give him a little more. Or because he's an E-step, let's give him a little less. God's not a respecter of persons. Because you uh, might be more blessed financially and socially, and this one here may be poor, and you may think, well, I deserve more because I have more, and I do. Listen, God's not a respecter of persons. God's gifting is based on what you're going to do with what he gives you. There was, um, there was a man who went to a church. And he went to this church and uh, he was called to pastor. And there were some other guys in the church who wanted to be pastor of the church. And when the new pastor asked why, he asked the deacons why, why didn't so-and-so become the pastor of the church? And they said, well, it's simple. He had a Sunday school class and he wouldn't show up and he was scheduled to teach. How could we make him the pastor of our church? When he wouldn't just he would not show up when he had these kids who showed up to learn about Jesus and you see what I'm talking about? Why is God going to get in the position of shepherd when he's not going to do faithfully what God's given him to do already? So, number one, he's the master. He gives to his servants his gifts. As he sees fit. That, my friends, is the way God operates. God doesn't have to ask us if we want to have the gift we have. God is God. There's never been a time in his, in his being ever that he's ever had a thought occur to him. God has never said, oh, I didn't think about that. I find myself saying that more repeatedly, you know, as I get older. I never thought of that. But he didn't have to. So there are three different servants. One has five talents, one has two talents, and one has one talent. They've all been given this gift by their master based on his knowledge, based on his desires, And he gave him his goods. Verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had two received, or had received two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So there's three different guys. One has five, one has two, one has one. The guy that has five goes out. He's faithful. He takes and trades around with those five and he gains five more. The one that has two goes out. He trades around. He's faithful. He gains two more. But the one who has one took it and hid it in the ground. Verse 19. Notice what the word says. After a long time. Out of sight, out of mind. The longer the time goes, 
The thought in humanity is, will he really come? Will he really come back? Will I really be responsible for what he's given me? After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So there's an accountability on behalf of the servants. Verse 20. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler of many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 22, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So let me just pause for a moment and say this. The one that had five talents went out, he had five talents. The one that had two talents went out and had two more talents. They received the same response from the Lord. What was that response. You were faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler of much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What was the results of their faithfulness? Now listen, it's not the amount of the talents. Because the guy that had five and the guy that had two, they both had the same response from the Lord. They both received the same reward. They had made and presented back to the Lord. It was their faithfulness motivated by their belief that their master would come back and they would be accountable. That was their motive. If you will turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter Number four, and I think Brother Bryce has it up there on the uh, screen for me. First uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse one and two. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful. It's required in a servant or a steward of God to be found faithful. What was rewarded was the, these, men's, these men and their faithfulness was what was rewarded. It was never about the amount. It was about the faithfulness. And that's the message if you've only been given two talents, you can be just as rewarded as the one who has five talents. The one who works in an orphanage in some third world country serving those children can be just as rewarded as Billy Graham and all of his crusades because of faithfulness. 
There's a personal application here. Am I being faithful with what God has given me? Why do I want to? Why do I want to be rewarded by God? Because our rewards are about His glory, not and His and our gratitude to Him, not our self. And look at me. None of that. One talent, the fellow that only had one talent, his response was, and listen to this. This, this kind of boggles my mind. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. Look what the, the man said. I knew you were a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown. Gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. What does that say about his relationship to his master? What does that say? The other two never said that. They were just faithful. This is a view of the master that is not one of submission and love and adoration but of one that is self-seeking, self-pleasing. I knew. And this, this, look what, look what uh, the Lord says. But his Lord answered him, verse 26, and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew. This was not done in ignorance. He knew his responsibilities. He knew what was expected of him. But the problem is, unlike the other two, he did not believe the master would come back. And in that long period of time, he buried the talent. He did nothing with it. And I have to wonder if in his mind he thought, if the Lord don't come back, I know where I buried it. No one else knows where I buried it. And I can get it and it will be mine. But the Lord came back. Did he really believe the Lord was coming back? Did he really believe that he would be accountable to him? The inference here is that the two that used their talents believed their master would come back. So while he was gone, they were faithful. They served him. They used his talents that he gave to them. And they, multiply, they were multiplied. And they in turn presented that back to him in their accountability. <laughs> but not so with the one. And the Lord's response was scathing, rebuking. You wicked and lazy servant. Wicked, you did not believe. When you talk about someone's wickedness, you're talking about their inside. Lazy, you did not do. But you knew. 
And I just wonder how many believers have come to faith in Jesus Christ and have never done anything for the Lord. They've never grown in their knowledge of Him. They've never grown in their worship of Him. They've never grown in their service to Him. The Master's gone. We believe we don't have to go to hell. Now we can do whatever we want. And if you don't come back, all this we've gained from, and it's not a big deal. But there's only one problem. He does come back. And when he comes back, it's too late to become faithful. What are the results? Take away the talent and give it to someone who will use it. Take away his talents and give it to him. Notice what he says in verse 27. So you are to deposit my money with the bankers. My coming, I would have received back my own with interest. You should have at least, at the very least, deposited in the bank. But you didn't. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please listen to me closely. In this church, uh, by some in the community who espouse a different doctrine than we do, we have been accused of, of teaching easy believism, teaching that you can say a prayer and do whatever you want to do and believe in eternal security and live however you want to. And to my knowledge, from this pulpit, that has never been taught, prior, even prior to my coming, there's never been anyone that's ever taught that. But I do believe that when someone comes to faith in Christ, that they can be out of fellowship with God. How do I know? Because I was at a time before I was a pastor. And all the disciples had to go through that. And there's biblical evidence after biblical evidence after biblical evidence of people that have done that. And I want you to know that in this context, there were some... Speaking of the kingdom, there will be some who are in the kingdom, but as a response, or as a, I guess, as a result of their lack of growing, their lack of using the gifts and abilities that God has given them, their lack of, of faithfully serving God, there's three, three negative consequences. And Jody Dillo, in this book that I'm going to read here again, and another quote in this book in just a moment, he writes three things. First of all, a stinging rebuke. There are believers who have professed faith in Christ, who are out of fellowship with God, they're not walking with Him, they're not serving Him, and they will stand before Him one day. And they will receive a stinging rebuke. Back in Matthew 24, 51, when they said the, the Lord's warning, they would be cut into pieces. This is what it's literally talking about, the stinging rebuke. This is the same thing he said to this one. You wicked and lazy, wicked and lazy servant. That's the first consequence 
of an unfaithful believer. Number two, millennial disinheritance. Now follow along with me. Do you know that the Bible says, if we deny him, he will deny us? But do you know that the Bible also says, if we do deny him, he is faithful. He is faithful. And he will not. He will not let us go. It says that. Timothy. A father may disinherit his son, but it does not change the fact that the son is still his son. To be disinherited means is simply to forfeit our share in the future reign of the servant kings. When we talk about the millennial kingdom, we talk about all the wonder and all this, but do you know that in the millennial kingdom there will be a wedding banquet? Now, it's not the Mary Supper of the Lamb. It's different. There's a wedding banquet. And outside that glory is what is referred to as outer darkness. Outer darkness is not, I don't believe, outer darkness is hell in this passage. The king will be, Christ Jesus will be in the wedding banquet. Those who are faithful, ruling and reigning with him will be there. There will be believers who forfeited that right. Yes, they'll be in the kingdom, but they will not be in the immediate presence of the Lord, there'll be an outer darkness and there'll be wailing, crying, and gnashing of teeth. Why didn't I do this? And number three, for the carnal Christian faces exclusion from the joy of the wedding banquet. It's all laid out right here. We are so earthly-minded right now that these things do not seem all that tragic. But let me tell you something. Everyone who saw the resurrected Christ was forever changed. Hear me out, church. Hear me out, please. This is the message. Are you being faithful with what God has given you in anticipation of His return? That's the message. Every dispensation of time has to answer this question the faithful one is the believer who in anticipation of the Lord's return uses what he has been loaned by God for his glory I want to read this book from this book because I've heard people say well you believe in that rewards you you believe that, that God dangles a carrot in front of you to be faithful Listen to what Jody Dillow says in the book, The Reign of the Servant Kings. I'll read this and I quote, Also, it should be stressed that the motivation behind our perseverance and holiness is not just the crowns we receive, but why we want those crowns. We do not want crowns so in our carnal hubris we can compare ours with others throughout eternity. There will be no sin nature, no selfishness, no envy, and no pride there. Rather, we want these crowns so we will have much to lay at his feet. When John describes the victorious as 24 elders surrounding the heavenly throne, he says they will cast their crowns before the throne. The crowns are ours to use as tokens of worship and gratefulness. This casting of the crowns at his feet is our way of saying thank you Lord Jesus for dying for me. 
Each crown with which we are rewarded is a token of our gratitude for eternal salvation. Our crowns that we receive for being faithful are not to say, (laughs) I'm better than him. And why do I say that? Because that's the society we live in. Sports have changed our culture. I was at Herod, I think, Harry, I was, was at Herod who said, if I can introduce the world to the Colosseum, I can forever change the world. And he asked. We live in a culture where one upsmanship. I have what I don't call friends. I have what I, have, I call as competitors. If you have this, they have this and it's better. You ever notice that? If you do this, well, let me tell you what I did. And that bleeds over into the church, into Christianity. I had a fellow actually tell me one time that on a Sunday, we should close our church down and encourage everyone to go to Huntington to hear this one church and their choir. To which I said, are you serious? That's not even remotely close to a local church. I had a friend sent me a, um, a message and I opened it. It's on that Twitter or X, whatever it is now. And there was a guy I used to like. Uh, he, he was a good speaker at one time, a good pastor. And he went to the church and he's become big now. He's become a lot, written some books and he has become wealthy and now there's some finding some improprieties, and one after another, these big national guys are falling left after right, right after left. It's the lure of humanity. And guys, it would utterly break my heart to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I abandoned faithfulness for my own gain. I I believe we're at this stage in our life where we judge a church by how many people and how big it is. And Brother Bryce sends me all kinds of things. He's an avid theological guru. He likes to read all this stuff and be involved in it. And he finds this crazy stuff in passing. And he'll send it to me and say, can you believe this? And I think this morning was what, Batman and Robin and... uh, you know, in church, and they had the song, The Devil Went Down to Gotham, and they were playing that. They changed the words, Devil Went Down to Georgia, and this, and they got a guy dressed up like Batman, and a guy dressed up like Robin, and they're carrying on, and they're driving a car across the stage, and the devil comes out playing the fiddle. And I thought, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. Where is Christ? Because when you and I stand before him, it's not my talent. It's not your talent. It's his talent that he has loaned us. And we stand before him 
And we wonder, you know, and this is it, this is it. Why do you, why do you preach and believe rewards? Why do you believe and, 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 and think that you should serve God for reward? Because His Word teaches us that. Because our rewards are not for us. Our rewards are for His glory. It's for our gratitude. It's to have something for Him. Could you imagine you grown adult? Well, maybe some of you don't like to buy gifts and stuff, but I mean, I couldn't imagine my kids and grandkids coming over to our house on Christmas Day and, and not having a gift for them. I'm scared to death that when we have graduation Sunday that I'll forget one of the graduates, so I buy two or three extra Bibles. Just in case. How would we feel to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ with no gifts? No, no crowns because of our faithfulness to give back to Him. And you don't have to put it on Facebook. I know some guys, every time they visit the hospital, they take a picture, visit the hospital. That's their reward. I'm from the generation, if you wanted a selfie, you stood there for a minute, and you waited for the Polaroid to come out. And then you shook it. Yeah, I see you back here, Rick. And then you shook it and you're like, oh, fire again, you know. And The faithful one is the believer who is in anticipation of the Lord's return, uses what he has been loaned by God for his glory. This is something that spans across the globe. It equals the playing field in your faithfulness to God. You can have something to glorify Him in that day and not be ashamed. I desperately want to be like the guy with five talents or the guy with two talents. I would hate. And the only thing that would perhaps skew that and blind me from seeing that is my pride, but I would hate to be like the fellow who only had one talent and he did nothing with it. I want to be serving along Christ in the kingdom. I don't want to be away from the glory of the light of the wedding banquet. I, I want to be right there with him. Harry sings a song. And it talks about going to heaven. I want to see Timothy. I want to see Mark. I want to see, but I want to see Jesus. For he's the one who died for me. There are many in heaven that we will gladly see, but the one I want to see first is Jesus. And I just wonder, and I have to speculate about this. You know the Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord or the death of his saints. I just wonder 
if heaven's like, hey, everybody watch this. Here comes so-and-so. Everybody get ready. Get ready. And when that person enters into heaven, they see Jesus and all the glory and the rejoicing and everybody's, it never gets old. You know, maybe you've had a surprise for somebody. Everybody, everybody get ready. Shh, ready. When they come in, surprise! You know, could you imagine heaven? Oh, I have some invested over there. And I tell you this, this is real, man. This is real. And many of you, most of you, everyone in here loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful with what He has given you through good times and bad times. Just be faithful. And God will make it right in His time. And one day you'll stand before Him. And I'm telling you this, this is the key. This is the key to staying faithful. This is the key to having rewards to cast, crowns to cast at His feet. This is the key, is that you stay in fellowship with Him. Don't read this book because you have to. Read this book because you love Him. Read this book because you need Him. Read this book because this book shows you how you can glorify Him. And church, we've got a whole new year coming up. And we, as believers, can start this year off committed to being faithful. And the key to anticipating His return is to stay in fellowship with Him, serving Him. And the devil's going to throw all things at you. Someone insults you. Someone does this. Someone does that. Listen, I'm so over pettiness. None of that matters. None of that matters. As God has brought me through some things, what I have seen is that everyone needs the Lord and everyone needs love and everyone needs help and everyone needs strength. And in that, there's no room for pettiness. Just serve Him. Just serve Him. Just be faithful. Because what you have is not yours. It's His. And if you believe He's coming back, you just keep using that for His glory. And you'll be just fine. Would you bow with me for prayer?